We're in the second week of a series that we've called What's in a Name, where we're going back and taking a look through the Bible at some of the significant name changes in the Bible. And uh, last week, we, we covered Abraham and Sarah, who were known as Abram and Sarai. And this week, we're going to cover uh, someone else in the New Testament. And so if you have your Bibles, I want you to, to pre-mark them to Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5. We're going to, I want you to hold that spot because we're going we're gonna to get there. Uh, but we're going we're gonna to take a little journey first, okay? Before we start that, I want to tell you about the Gospels. The first four books in the, in the New Testament are known as the Gospels. Three of the four as known, are known as the Synoptic Gospels. And what that means is that there are similarities between three of the four books, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. They all speak to pretty much the same things that happened simultaneously, or should I say um, uh, chronologically, in the life of Christ. And so you see them approaching things from different angles. And as you look at all of them together, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, you, you get almost like a total picture of the life of Christ when he was here. John is a bit different because John handles things from more of a theological perspective. John is very, very relational. And so you hear John talking about relationship with Jesus more than he gets into the historical things. Okay, I want you to keep that in mind because that's going to serve us well as we move forward into the message today. So I want to review some things. I want to go back by way of review and just touch on a few things that I, I spoke of last week. And I think it's going to serve us well as we open up this, this new uh, message today. What's in the name? I said to you last week that names are much more than just arbitrary words. And I said that a person's name was more than just a mere identifier. I said to you that a name reflects a person's personality and character. I said our names give us a place in our family and identifies us to the rest of the world. And that's why names are super important to us. I said to you last week that in North American culture, we tend not to take names as seriously as they did and still do in Hebrew culture. In Hebrew culture, dating way back through the Old and New Testament, your name carried more than your identity. Your name carried with, with it a descriptor of who you are presently, as well as who you were expected to, to be, how you were expected to live, and how your life was going to be shaped and formed. A name identifies us to the rest of the world. That's what's in a name. You know, it was about a, a year, a little bit better than a year ago, I took a, a business trip to Fairbanks, and it was supposed to be one of those turnaround trips where, um, you know, you go up there one morning, early in the morning, and you, you take care of your business, and you come back late in the evening. We planned to come back late in the evening. So I booked the latest flight on Alaska Airlines, except for the, the uh, what do you call that, the red-eye flight. I booked a 10, I think it was 10-10 flight. We got done early, around 5, somewhere around there. And so I beelined to the airport, hoping to get an earlier flight out. So I got to the ticket counter, and I approached the agent, and she said, can I help you? I said, yes. I said, I'm trying to get out on an earlier flight. She says, okay, well, let me help you. She said, well, give me your last name. 
And can I see some ID? I said, sure. So I gave her my ID and I said, my name is, my last name is McCormick. She said, McCormick? She looked at my ID, she said, of like the McCormick family here in Fairbanks? And I said, well, that depends on what you're getting ready to tell me. <laughs> because I ain't been saved all my life, y'all. You know? And my name has already given me a place in my family, right? But she went on to say, she said, listen, she says, Matt, I know your mom and dad. She worked at the airlines for 20 plus years. She said, I know your mom and dad, and I see them coming through. My, my, my sister is a flight attendant, so my mom and dad are, they're jet setters, man. They are gone all the time. She says, so for years I've watched your mom and dad come through this airport, and here's what she said to me, verbatim, you must believe that your parents, that you must believe that you have perfect parents. She said, because I watch them when they travel. And you can learn a whole lot about couples when you watch them as they're traveling. And she said, she said, she said, I watched your mom and dad and they have been the same and they've treated each other the same through the years. And I said, yeah, that's, that's my mom and dad. I am a McCormick. Yes, that's right. That's me. <laughs> I'm, I'm from that family, you know. And so, so, so here it is, a perfect example of, of, of my name identifying me with my family, but also identifying me to the rest of the world. That's what a name does. I said last week to you that a name is so important that in Scripture, God several times changed the names of people to describe who he intended for them to be. When God changed a person's name, it was usually to establish in them a new identity. And I also believe that when God changed a person's name, his, his intent was to get their, their speech to line up with their spirit and their mouth to line up with their mind. So today we're going to look at another example. We're going to take a New Testament example of a name change, a name change family that led to life change. Today we're going to take a look at the, a high-level look, if you will, a highlight uh, of the life of the Apostle Peter. Now we're going to wrap this series up next week, and I think it's fitting that we wrap this series up next week because it's our last weekend at Bartlett. We've, we've worshipped here for almost five years, and it's, it's been sweet. It really has, but man, I'm telling you, I am so ready for what God has in our next stage of growth and development as a church. So what's significant about a name change, and what significance does a name change carry for us here as a church? And how will changing our name better identify us with who we are right now and better align us with the vision that God has for us in terms of who he has intended for us to be? I have a key statement that I want you to, to remember. I'm going to say it slow. We're going to leave it up on the screen for just a minute. I think this... This statement here really fits where we're going today and where we're at. Here it is. Everything we've experienced together has brought us to this point. That the glory of God may be revealed in and through us. Everything we've experienced together has brought us to this point. That the glory of God may be revealed in and through us. We're going to talk about the Apostle Peter today, and I'm going to start by reading a passage of Scripture that you can find in 1 Peter 
chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning at verse 3, and I'm going to read out of the ESV. Let me set this up for you a little bit. Peter is an old man now. He's probably in his late 70s. And so here's a man that is, that is writing from, a, from, an experience, from an experience where he has, has, has been with Jesus for a lifetime. He spent time with Jesus face to face for the over three years that Jesus was in his ministry. And now, long after Jesus is gone, you can see the effect that Jesus has had on his life as he writes. Listen to this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Can you just, can, can you Feel the gravity of his words. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ when Christ reveals himself to you. So here's a question. Why and when was Simon's name changed to Peter? Why and when was Simon's name changed to Peter? Now, again, I want to tell you that, remember that all the writings, the, the, the writings of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, are synoptic Gospels, and they give us a, a picture of what's going on in totality. And then John gives us a different perspective. In John chapter 1, verse 35, John, just the, the day prior, John the Baptist, had baptized Jesus. And when Jesus came out of the water... He, no, before he baptized Jesus, he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And then he baptizes Jesus. On the following day, John is standing there, and there are two disciples flanking him on both sides. And John makes a statement again, Behold the Lamb of God. And there are two disciples standing there. Jesus, I don't know how much time passed by, but Jesus is walking away, and the two disciples are following him. And so Jesus turns around like anybody else, and he said, can I help you? Why are you following me? And they said, we want to know where you're staying. Where are you staying? And Jesus says, come follow me. Let me show you. So he takes them to where he's staying, and they kick it with him all day, right? That means that they had a good time with Jesus. They hung out with him. So, so the next day comes, and Andrew, one of the disciples, who was a disciple of John, is also the younger brother of Simon. They're both fishermen. And Andrew runs to Simon and says, we have found Messiah. And Peter says, or Simon says, show me. So he brings him to Jesus and shows him. And look what Jesus says. Jesus looks at Simon and he says, so 
You're Simon. You're Simon, son of John. He says, from now on, you're going to be called Cephas. Cephas is an, Arab, is an Arama Aramaic name that corresponds with the Greek name Petros or Peter. And that name means a mass of rock detached from the living rock. And by the way, Jesus framed his words here. It's reasonable to understand that he was saying to Peter that Peter was just one rock from, from a, a, a variety of rocks, one disciple of many disciples to come, a singular rock in an entire rock quarry of disciples filled with living stones. I think Peter speaks to that in chapter 2 of 1 Peter where he says, he says, listen, as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen, precious, you yourself, like living stones, being built up as a spiritual house. Hmm. So in that moment, Jesus changes Simon's name to Peter. Now listen, we're not told immediately what the impact on that name change was with Jesus' first encounter with Peter. We're not told what it produced in Peter, but here's what we do know. That from that point on, Peter knew who Jesus was. Jesus had given him a new name. And now Jesus was about to give him a brand new identity. He was going to change his identity forever. Now, I had you mark your Bible at John cha or uh, Luke chapter 5. Are you there? Luke chapter 5. Are you there? Yes? How many of you brought your Bibles with you today? Okay, how many of you brought your Bible or your electronic instrument? Nice. See how many hands went up? Live in a technological era. Okay. Look at what Luke says. Man, I get so excited about this story, you guys. It's hard for me to, to hold my mule on this one. On one occasion while the crowd was, a, was, was pressing him on pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. And he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen were gone out of them, and they were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little bit from land. And he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out your net, or put out into the deep, and let down your nets for a catch. Now let me back up and explain to you what's happening here. Peter knew who Jesus was, but these men had been toiling all night. We'll get to that in a minute. And they were, they were in the water washing their nets and putting their nets up. Jesus just, I picture him, just walked up into the boat, didn't say anything, walked up into the boat and said, hey man, will you, will you just let out your boat a little bit because I, I have something to say to these people. And so Peter pushes out from land, and Jesus speaks to the people. And when he's done speaking, he tells them, put out your net, put out into the deep, and let your nets down for a catch. Now, I love the King James Version on this, because the King James Version says, let down your nets for a draught. The word draught meant recompense. Watch this now, don't miss this. It meant that Jesus was about to pay this man for the use of his boat. <laughs> mm. 
Now you can see how the story starts to unfold. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and we took nothing, but, but at your word we will let down the nets. Now the King James, I think, has a better description. King James says, we will let down the net. Now if you know anything about fishing, especially back in biblical days, there were two sets of nets. There was one that was used for practice, for training, right? It wasn't kept as well as the other. But the other was used to gather in the harvest. When Peter said, nevertheless, we will let down the net, he was talking about letting down the training net, right? Because remember, they had toiled all night. They had caught nothing. They didn't think Jesus knew what he was talking about because he wasn't a fisherman, and they were. Oh, man. Are you guys getting this? This is so good. So Jesus says, let down the nest. And he said, no, we're going to let down the net, right? And when he had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. And the King James said, their net broke, or their net break, right? And, and where am I at? Stop, Grace. Slow down. Slow down. Everybody say, slow down, Pastor. I sure will. I told you I get excited. And they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. But Simon Peter saw it and fell down at Jesus' knees saying, depart from me, for I'm a sinful man. Now, can you imagine Simon Peter not, not really understanding? Because listen, he knew who Jesus was. But he had no idea who Jesus was. Mm. So can you imagine Simon Peter now understanding and recognizing, yeah, man, this dude is Messiah. And he falls down because of all of his doubt and his fear and his, and his anxiety because he's tired. He's, he's been out all night fishing. And he falls down and says, forgive me, I'm a sinful man. He says, for he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And, and so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid, for from now on you will be catching men. Now the synoptic gospels say this, that Jesus said to, to Peter, follow me and I will make you a fisher of men. I will make you a fisher of men. And so this previous name change that, that Jesus had given him from Simon to Peter not only represented a change in identity, but also a change in calling. Simon, the son of John, the fisherman, was now Peter, the fisher of men. What's in the name? Scripture goes on to say that, that through the course of, of time, Peter is now confronted with the fact that he's going to deny Jesus. Peter says, I don't care if everybody else denies him. I won't deny you. I'm confident in my ability to stand up for you when things get tough. These three, this, this, this denial that was going to take place culminates in Luke chapter 22, beginning at verse 60, where the scripture says that while Peter was still speaking while he was about to deny Jesus for the last time, for that third time. The, the scripture says that the rooster crowed. And watch this now. 
He says, and at that moment, Jesus turned and looked at Peter. Can you imagine what Peter would have, would have been thinking in that moment? To be in the act of denying the Savior, the very thing that he said he wouldn't do, only to have Jesus, by this time whipped and bloodied and bruised, turn and look at him and say, I told you. Scripture tells us he went out and wept bitterly. So then we fast forward to the resurrection, right? John 16 and 7 says that Mary approaches the tomb. And at the tomb, there's an angel sitting down at the tomb. And the angel instructs Mary, don't miss this. He says, go tell the disciples, watch this, and Peter, that the Savior is going to meet them in Galilee. It was important for Jesus to, to single Peter out because Peter was the one that said, I will not deny you. Jesus knew his fears. He knew his doubts. He knew what he was going through. Hmm. Scripture tells us that Jesus appeared to his disciples twice more after that, two more times after the resurrection. And then we fast forward now to John chapter 21, and we find Peter fishing again. But he's not fishing for men. He's fishing for fish again. So John chapter 21, we find Peter saying, I'm, hey, everybody, I'm going fishing. It's been a while since we've seen Jesus. I know that he's risen, but I haven't seen him. And so I'm going to go back to doing what I was doing before. So he said, I'm going fishing. And, and, the, and the leader that he was, everyone said, well, we're going with you, Peter. Scripture tells us that they fished all night and caught nothing. And then at daybreak, at daybreak, Jesus is standing on the shore and he says to them, children, and that word children really meant lad or boys. So he's saying, young men, have you caught any fish? No, we haven't caught anything. We've toiled all night. And Jesus says, why don't you cast your net on the other side? Cast it on the right side. And when they did, the same miracle happened to them again. They had a catch of fish, 153 fish. But this time the net didn't break. And immediately John said, that's the Lord. Scripture tells us that Peter, Peter was, uh, he was, he had no clothes on. He girded himself and he jumped off the ship and swam about 100 yards to the shore where Jesus met him and told him, come sit down and eat with me. Hmm. So now let's pick it up in John chapter 21, beginning at verse 15. John chapter 21, beginning at verse 15. Now I know that I don't have points for you today because I have one single point, and it's the key statement that I made to you today. John chapter 21, verse 15. This is right after Jesus tells him, he says, come bring, bring me some of that fish you're caught. Jesus, Jesus is sitting on the side. He's, he's already roasting some fish. He says, now you bring me some of the fish you caught. Don't miss that because that's important. You bring me some of the fish that you caught. It says that Simon went back on the boat, began to haul the fish in, brought some fish to Jesus. And they sat down and they had breakfast together. And look at what it says in verse 15. 
And when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He asked him the question three times, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And each time Jesus gave him a command, feed my sheep, feed my lambs. But I don't want you to miss what he said in the first time. He said, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And it's indicative of Jesus saying, Simon, son of John, son of John identified you with being a fisherman. He says, do you love me more than these? And I can just see Jesus saying, you know those fish that I told you to go out on the boat and pull up and bring me some? Do you love doing what I've called you to do? Be a fisherman of man more than you love fishing for fish? Are you willing to step into your new identity and your new calling through which I've called you? Hmm. Will you be a fisherman of men instead of a fisherman? I love what one commentary says here. And Melissa, you can come up if you would. He says, there can be little doubt that the whole scene is meant to show us Peter as completely restored to his position of leadership. He has three times denied the Lord, and now he has three times affirmed his love for him. And three times he has commissioned, he has been commissioned to care for the flock. This must have had an effect on the others of a demonstration that whatever had been the mistakes of the past, Jesus was restoring Peter to a place of trust. What's your point, Pastor? What's your point in all this? I believe that highlighting Peter's life shows us that no matter what we've done, no matter what's in our past, that God can not only forgive us, and he will, but he can restore us and give us a brand new identity. It doesn't matter. He wants to give us a fresh new start. That's his desire for us. Let me read this passage again. This is Peter. After having denied Jesus, after being confronted with Jesus, and now spending a lifetime being a disciple of Jesus Christ as a fisher of men. Listen to what he writes. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy, has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And this is what he writes to us. And though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, 
obtaining the outcome of your faith, which is the salvation of your souls. I don't think that there's a better way to say that if you're not in relationship with Jesus Christ, you are living beneath your privilege. That if you're not in relationship with Jesus Christ, you have a God who came to earth in human form because he loved you so much that he wanted to have relationship with you and he gave his life for you. And if you don't know him today, today is the day for you to get to know him because salvation is for you. I'd like for you to close your, your eyes and bow your heads with me. No one looking. I don't want to assume for a moment that everyone in here is in relationship with Jesus Christ. Maybe you've been in relationship with Jesus or so you thought you were in relationship. You thought you knew him, but you realize you didn't know him because you, like Peter, have denied him. Maybe he's called you out and he's given you a specific assignment, but instead of being a fisher of men, maybe you're busy fishing. God wants to change that in you today. With every head bowed and every eye closed, if you are not a follower of Jesus Christ, if you've never embraced the gospel of Jesus Christ, and today you want to do that, I want you to slip your hand up. Or maybe today you're in relationship with Jesus, but you found yourself going back to some of your old ways, some of the things that you haven't committed to him. And it's eating you up. He wants you to be in deeper, more intimate relationship with him. And maybe today is your day to commit to that. And if this is you, and I'm talking to you right now, I want you to raise your hand. I see your hand. Will everyone stand with me? Father, I want to pray for the hand that was raised to, in an expression of knowing that although they know you, they need to get to know you better. Lord, I'm asking by the power of your Holy Spirit that you reveal yourself to her in deeper ways. And I know who the hand is. Lord, I pray that you will use me and, and those who are around her who love her to minister life and speak life to her, to propel her into the calling for which you've called her to, in Jesus' name. And now, Lord, I pray for our church as, as we're going through our own identity change. And I'm asking you in the days ahead, Lord, that with crystal clarity, you will move us in the direction that you've already ordained for this church. 
and that we'll catch the vision of who you really called us to be as your hands and feet to the communities that you've called us to. And may the change of our name represent a new identity for us and a brand new beginning that propels us towards the vision of life change that you want to use us to influence in every person that doesn't know you or needs to get to know you better. Will you use us in that way?